Hi there, I'm Michelle Musi, the irreverent, feisty, but irresistible author of Love Capades. And I'm Sally Kaplan, Michelle's partner in crime as her editor and clever co-host on this audio adventure. Welcome everyone to the Love Capades podcast. Welcome to episode 15 of the Love Capades podcast. In our last session, Michelle uncovered and shared several fascinating past lifetimes, but none more intriguing than the one with Bobby. She then veered into experiences of reincarnation with more off-the-chart stories. Finally, Michelle revealed a heart-rending tale of how her brother helped her master the art of forgiveness. So today we start with a chapter called From the Sublime to the Ridiculous. During the four decades I rocked as a realtor, like my father before me, I played as hard as I worked. In fact, the intensity of the job requires serious playtime. When people buy or sell a home, especially for the large amounts of money required in my area, you as agent become the ultimate scapegoat for anything that goes awry. I remember fondly one of my more raucous steam-releasing escapades. This one definitely fits in the naughty category. I'm almost, almost embarrassed to tell the tale. But what the hey? My girlfriend Jeanette and I decided to wander up to San Francisco one Sunday afternoon to check out the action at the iconic watering hole on Union Street known as Perry's. Soon, we were hanging out with two youngish, hip German gentlemen, the boss and his top salesman, who were in town on business. The boss was another one of those high-born types, like Carl, and his employee was a jovial blonde bloke with an appealing personality. I ended up with the boss, and Jeanette paired with the fun fellow. Over a period of several hours, a lot of booze passed our lips, so by the time the gents invited us back to their hotel, our inhibitions had gone poof. Off the tipsy crew went, and where we landed was no surprise. In the suite, the two men shared. The outcome was a far cry from the sombrero scene at Club Med years before. That orgy had been aborted. But this one was full on more reminiscent of the exhibition at Club Med in a lot. There were two twin beds in the room. Jeanette and I ended up with our designated guys on top of those beds, rousingly doing the deed. <laughs> with all the lights on. Eat gads! And my elegant German aristocrat was so sexy that he hauled me into the bathroom and did me again. <laughs> If you count the A-Lot orgy, this was my second Saturnalian spectacle. For a girl with my upbringing to have sex in full view of other couples copulating was pretty far out there. On the other hand, that night I liked being totally uninhibited. I've never seen the man again, but I've never forgotten him either. You could say this was one of those 
what was I thinking moments. But truth told, I have to admit that my detour from propriety that wild and crazy night was definitely worth the experience. And it definitely deserves a notch on the love belt. Another preposterous situation happened with one of my neighbors. He would frequently show up on my doorstep uninvited with cigarette in one hand and cocktail in the other. Trevor, a bright Aussie who taught at the Stanford Business School, was married to a lovely British woman with a high-powered consultant job. I knew them both because I'd helped them buy a property that had joined their house in a very complicated real estate deal. On more than one occasion, Trevor would ring the doorbell and whine until I let him in. Then he would tell me that his wife was brandishing a pistol and threatened to shoot him. Seriously, his remedy, it seemed, was to show up a few doors down the street at my house, then try to cozy up to me on the couch. The nerve of men sometimes. It's appalling. For starters, I didn't believe the gunslinging bit. But had it been true, I explained, I certainly didn't want Mrs. Revolver finding him at my pad so she could then shoot both of us. <laughs> Eventually, the two divorced and Trevor tried to date me. But after all the Mr. and Mrs. Smith shenanigans, all of Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie's quirky movie, I was not interested. Then there's the crazy-making thing that happened with the number two abortion culprit, Bo. Remember the good-looking blonde tennis guy I'd met in grad school? When I first encountered him, he was a teacher. But years later, his career had expanded into a more nefarious arena. He'd remained single, moved to Stockton, east of the Bay Area, and continued to teach, now at the junior college level. In the meantime, however, he'd been recruited by the CIA as an asset assigned to do recognizance in South Africa. He would spend summers there every year doing whatever spies do in such instances. Here was yet another CIA guy who'd shown up on my love path. After not having seen Bo for more than 20 years, he called me one day out of the blue and asked if we could get together. When he appeared at my front door, he said, Wow, you still look so young. That was a good start, I thought. He then invited me to come spend the weekend with him a few weeks later. Ever hopeful, I packed my little overnight satchel and tucked it along with my golf clubs in the car. The sun shone brightly with a slight breeze as we arrived at the golf course. I tagged along behind him, dragging my clubs with a pull cart. Not my idea of fun. But I managed to make a credible showing of my golf skills, which seemed to impress him. He'd booked dinner for us at a restaurant, and several cocktails into the evening, I could tell Bo had a serious drinking problem, which didn't portend well for my stay. He began to tell me of his frequent visits to South Africa, and when I inquired why the interest there, he got defensive. So I asked him point blank, are you by any chance in the CIA? Then he got belligerent. Our brave national spymasters may do courageous work, 
But my experience told me they can have a dangerous streak on the personal level. Often chosen because they don't gravitate to normal married life, their relationship skills can be somewhat suspect. His irrational behavior continued to escalate, and I became frightened. He was full-on drunk by this time and pissed that I'd figured out his undercover life. Finally, we left the restaurant and returned to his townhouse. Immediately, I ran upstairs, grabbed my tote, and streaked past Bo to reach my car. Once safely inside with the doors locked, I looked back to see him yelling angrily in the driveway, his fists flailing as if in a drunken brawl. It's surprising he didn't fall flat on his face. With nerves jangling, I peeled out of there and found the road back home. It was a panicky late-night ride, and I drove, pondering once again, what was it about me that attracted so many cads? Was it bad luck, bad judgment, bad odds? I'm not really sure. At least I've had the moxie to dodge a fair number of bullets. My survivor instincts had gotten yet another chance to shine. The next chapter is called Bedroom Eyes. In the late 80s, some of my single gal pals and I signed up for a love seminar with a sort of Cupid guru in San Francisco. I still have the notes, and her advice was pretty smart. It was sound then, and I believe for the most part it holds today. These tips fall in the all is fair in love and war category. Here are a few for you to ponder. Listen to a man's words, but even more, watch his actions. Find out how he feels about his mother. Yossi, for instance, hated his. Men are comfortable in pursuit mode. They get nervous when you respond too positively, so drag out the pursuit stage. We know a lot of people who <laughs> fall in that category, don't we? Infatuation may only last as long as it takes to go to bed, so play hard to get. Don't sleep with a man unless you are sure he will call you back. Date more than one guy at a time. Men are territorial, so they often commit out of a fear of loss. Subtly let him know other men find you attractive. A not-so-subtle example of this was pulled off by one of my friends. She tells the hysterical account of how she ordered a large bouquet of flowers delivered to her doorstep, so when the man she wanted to marry picked her up for their date, he was shocked to see an FTD box. It worked! They were married for 40 years. I just love this story. So on with the love tips. Set limits. Make him call ahead for dates. And if he's late, don't be there. Don't go out last minute. If he breaks a date, don't be available next time he asks. If a man starts to back off, you back off even more, you little vixen. <laughs> Use the sweet and sour technique. Wrap a request up in a compliment. Do the sweet part first. Keep your guy off balance. Don't let up on the be a challenge pedal. We speak different languages. Men are terse and we ramble, which they take as whining. Unless you have a commitment from a man, don't act committed. 
your message is, I want to get married and I will marry you or someone else if this doesn't work out. The second part of the seminar talked about how to find good men to date. Ms. Cupid advised the best way was to put a personal ad in your local newspaper. Mind you, this was way before we had online dating sites to hook the big tuna. The trick, of course, was to write a good ad. Being experienced in marketing houses, this was a cinch for me. I put my lure in the classifieds of a variety of papers around the Bay Area, including the Palo Alto Weekly and Berkeley's Bay Guardian. The ad is just a classic, and I want you all to go to the Facebook page because I will post the actual ad, which I still have. The headline was, Blonde with Bedroom Eyes. Successful realtor, five foot four, voluptuous, dynamic, and elegant, seeks long-term investment and lots of appreciation with appealing W slash M, which is white male, 35 to 50, who is accomplished, spiritual, and compassionate. If interested, please reply and let's compare assets. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The good news is that my ad attracted exactly 189 responses in the form of handwritten letters. Some included photos. In order to deal with the Santa-sized sack of entreaties, I gathered my friends who'd attended the love seminar and we set up camp in my backyard. It was a warm afternoon, so we all sat in a circle on beach towels on the lawn and started to read the letters aloud. Girl Scouts on a Mission. What a hoot. Being a former school teacher, I decided the best method was to grade them, A, B, C, D, or even F. A few of the letters showed candidates with promise, but most of the letters were pretty lame. I contacted the top five candidates and set up coffee dates. One guy was at least 20 years older than the photo. Nix him. Another was clearly a total control freak. He kept asking me questions like, would it bother you if I made all the investment decisions? How would it be if I made out the menus for the week? Totally, totally nicks him. One was slimy and unkempt and looked like a greasy mechanic. Nicks him. And the last two were so uninteresting that I don't even recall a thing about them. Bottom line, the experience was so frustrating and unproductive that I swore never to put myself out there in such a way again. That's the reason I have never been tempted to try online dating. Before giving up the ghost completely, however, I actually answered a tempting ad I'd seen in The Guardian. I even went to my favorite Hallmark store and bought a funny greeting card on which to send my response. It said, I think I'm a perfect candidate for a relationship. And on the inside, it said, I love housework and just adore compromising 100% of the time. Of course, this was a joke, as neither of these things were true. By now you know that having the heart of a writer, I'd saved a large sampling of old letters, notes, cards, and reflections 
and a used well leather suitcase, which has followed me everywhere. Here is much of the text of what I said in that card. Dear handsome German man, your ad in the Bay Guardian caught my eye. You sound like someone I already know and am attracted to, but he lives far away and is unavailable for a relationship. If you are single and open to connecting with the right woman, please read on. I am bold and beautiful and have a great appetite for life. The tiger in me can be tamed to a purr with the right man, but he is a rare animal in our modern jungle. I have been married once but have been on my own for some time, so I'm quite independent. I have no children. I never would have seen your ad had I not placed one myself for the first time in the same paper. I enclose a copy of it for you. Ironically, our box numbers are consecutive. I am box 39F. Hmm, I wonder what that means. Please know I am not looking for a series of sexual encounters, but rather one special man with whom to build a loving and nurturing relationship. In my view, physical intimacy follows emotional intimacy. So if you are not in too big a hurry to cook up a storm, and like what you read, write to me at box 39F. Let me know a little more about you and how I might call you to set up a meet and greet. Well, nice try, Michelle. I must have revealed too much about myself or been too intimidating because I scared the dude off before we ever met. But in my defense, the right man would have been intrigued rather than threatened, like the elegant European Carl. I'm just saying. In any event, it served as more proof that the personal ad approach was not my route to lasting love. I had much better luck in person. Nice to have you back to your old shenanigans, Miss Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. OMG, OMG, as the young people say. So, so your second orgy. <laughs> Not quite an orgy. It was just someone else in the room with you. But <laughs> well, it felt pretty orgy-like to me. But you know what interested me about this segment of the episode? That you, you start off by saying you're even might be a little too embarrassed to tell the story, but then you tell it and, and you're happy that you went through the experience. Is there something still a little embarrassing to you about it or looking back? Or, <laughs> You know, I like that question, Sally. So one would think, given my background, that I would be embarrassed about this. But truthfully, I'm not one bit embarrassed. It was a moment in time. It was it was an experience. It was, you know, another orgy, kind of like the one in a lot, but it had its own character. And the fact that, of course, I was with this elegant aristocrat, another German guy. <laughs> I mean, gee whiz. I, it's like, wow, I'm totally glad I did it to this day. Well, I'm glad you did too. And I'm glad you're brave enough to tell us about it. <laughs> You know, I let it all hang out, don't I? I mean, you know, I'm not hiding anything. So, yes, I could I could be embarrassed about a lot of things, but that's not the point. I'm revealing my life. I'm proud of my life. I'm trying to understand it in a more deep way, and I'm also hoping that the people who listen 
are looking at their own lives. Well, I'm one of them. And I think what's so great about it is that you really have the courage to put it out there. I mean, I should not make this assumption, but I'm assuming everyone has an experience or two they might not make public. But when you hear it publicly put out the way you do, we we reflect upon them. So I just think it's great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I hope so. And then the Alsi neighbor. Oh, my God. First of all, it is like a scene in a movie, the way he shows up with a cocktail and a cigarette, pushing his way in. The question I wanted to ask when he said to you, my wife is brandishing a gun and she's threatening to shoot me. Didn't you ask him, well, why don't you call the police? What are you doing here? <laughs> Actually, I didn't think to say that. I mean, first of all, I thought he was full of bull. I mean, I knew this woman. I had done a real estate deal with the two of them, and she was a very elegant, very bright woman. And I cannot imagine that she was threatening to shoot him. But let's say that part was true. What I also was worried about was that she would figure out where he was, come down the three or four houses, and burst through the front door and shoot both of us, thinking (laughs) that I was having an affair with him. Well, I didn't want that to happen, so I told him to get the hell out of there. But, Sally, he did it more than once. So, I will never know. Right, but the good news is when he actually wanted to date you, that you had the sense to say, I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so. No. Uh -uh. (laughs) Oh, Oh, my God. Anyway, definitely a, a CAD story, but colorful, shall we say. And then... Bo shows up. Here's another man that that shows up in your life more than once. And thank you for reminding me that he was the character that you went through the second abortion with. I don't know if I would have remembered and had you not told us. And then you had this sense that he was maybe CIA from some of the stuff you told you. I just can't believe you had a second CIA person experience. Oh, the first one, of course, being when I was in between the disaster with Drake the Flake and marrying the guy. So it was during that hiatus, that pregnantly scary hiatus when I was waiting to see if he was going to show up again with with the engagement ring. And I was dating this guy. And again, he he was an attractive man, but he was in the CIA. And that was the time that I suspect he closed the flu on my fireplace. Right. I remember that. Yeah, so here's this scary CIA guy. So when Bo showed up, you know, and then I went over to spend the weekend with him, it wasn't until we were having dinner together and he had had so much to drink. He was obviously an alcoholic. And he started talking about all these trips to South Africa. That's when I put two and two together. And then he really got mean at that point. Mm And this is a good story that you got you got out. You sensed that this was not the direction you wanted to go when you ended up at his townhouse. But his kind of belligerent, you finding out that his cover and also his drunkenness, which was it more that you were afraid of? Was it both combinations together? It was both because he was obviously in a very drunken state. But I combined that with my own personal experience of the other CIA guy trying to kill me by closing the flu in the fireplace. So I put two and two together and I went, oh my God, I am totally vulnerable here. I've got this guy who's drunk and he's in the CIA. Who knows what the hell he'll do with me? So I just had to get out of there. 
Well, it's another one of those stories where, thank God, you got out. You're like a cat with nine lives, you know? You got yourself into some (laughs) amazing situations that played out quite well and some amazing situations that could have ended quite badly. And you're here to tell us a story, you know? (laughs) Well, let me just add to this at this point. I'm ever hopeful. I'm an optimist. So when Bo showed up those 20 years later and said that, lovely compliment. Oh, you look so young. And then he invited me to spend the weekend with him. And I went with the best of of hopes and intentions. And I get there and we play golf, which was fine. Wasn't drunk at that point. And then we go out to dinner and the story unfolds. And it's at that point where I realized I've got myself in another CAD situation and I had to extricate myself. I was in his car at that point. We drive back and I literally ran upstairs, grabbed my stuff, streaked out the front door and got on my car and locked the door. And he is standing in the driveway going berserk. So it's another movie scene. That's all I can say. But something you said just now that is really true, you always go with the best of expectations. And that's also what's so wonderful about you. I mean, you're an endless romantic no matter what. Oh, I try hard, don't I? So, and then the story about going to listen to the love guru, what made you decide to go? What were you looking for at that point? I was looking for love. You know, I was, and again, it's the old story. Did I want to find a husband or not? I mean, I just wanted love. I wanted a wonderful, committed relationship. And, you know, it was kind of the thing to do. And I was at an age where my girlfriends were either divorced or not married. and and they were looking for love too. So we decided to sign up for this love seminar. So some of the tips, you know, a lot of the tips in your words were very smart. So there was one that it says, don't sleep with a man unless you're sure he will call you back. Now, Miss Michelle, did you always do that? (laughs) (laughs) Now you're being very naughty, Miss Sally. That is that's a <laughs> sidewinder of a question if I ever heard one. Oh, my goodness. But truly, thank God, because we wouldn't have this love capaz if you... <laughs> <laughs> I think, all right, in my own defense here, I think that that series of tips was designed to hook a husband. Yes. And as you know, I wasn't always out to hook a husband. I was out for adventure. Touche. Good answer, Michelle. Good answer. Thank you. Well, that's why I asked you, what were you looking for? You said you were looking for love, but really she was giving tips on if you want the marriage kind. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So she was giving good tips that way. And she gave a very important tip, wait, the, the one to make them think that you're dating someone else and what your friend did with the flowers. Oh, God. Have you ever tried that? (laughs) No, I didn't do that, but I have always loved that story. And I have to give you a little postscript to that. So if you remember way back to the very first episode we had, which was our introductory episode, you asked me to tell the story about the senior sex salon, the woman who did that flower trick to hook her husband is the very same lady who had the dinner party. No! Yes. Yes. And she stayed married for 40 years? Yes, and then he passed away. But she was the one who did that fantastic 
thing. Her name is Louise, and she's just a character. I'm so glad you told us that because it really does come full circle. (laughs) It does. Oh, my God. And then the second part of the seminar was not just about finding the tips for the married man, but that a way to find a good man was to put an ad in a paper, right? So what kills me about yours, (laughs) what kills me is that you got 189 responses? Letters, handwritten letters. This was pretext, right? Pretexting. Pre-swiping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had to write an actual letter and then they were sent to that those post office boxes and the newspaper forwarded them to me. So I had this like, seriously, a sack of letters that I had to deal with. Okay, I have a question for you, though. I have a question. Very cute the way you and your friends are sitting in the backyard on beach towels, you know, going through and you're grading them. So what what gave them an A? What What made the top five? <laughs> was it they were really good looking? What was it? <laughs> No, well, most of them didn't send pictures, so I didn't know what most of them looked like. Oh, okay. Yeah, but but it was, you know, it was what they said in the letter. And I could ascertain whether they were interesting candidates or not, whether their grammar was correct. I mean, you know, there were all sorts of criteria that I used. And is it fair for me to ask, are you very picky? Because out of 189, you only came up with five. Well, I would say I'm quite picky, but as I also explained, most of the letters were lame. You know, I mean, they were, they weren't up to my standards. So then you actually took a risk and you met the five. I, I get it. None of them were right. But then you took a risk and you responded to yet another handsome German man's ad. As you say that, I realize how many Germans I've had in my experience. You've got to go do some past life stuff. I know. I I must have had more German karma than I realized. Most of it, I thought, was Italy, but Germany tucks itself in quite a few times. I think you have to talk to Linda again and have (laughs) some... But here's my question, Michelle. This is important, Michelle. Listen. My question is, when you don't hear from him... It's interesting to me that you immediately go to, I wonder what was wrong with what I wrote that I didn't hear from him. Did I put him off? Did I scare him away? Rather than, why didn't you just think maybe he hooked up with someone? Maybe he's already met someone. Maybe you know, maybe it had nothing to do with what you wrote. <laughs> you're right, Sally. You're right. It, I think it's kind of human nature, though, to, to blame oneself for stuff that it doesn't go right. But you're right. I, I mean, it could have been a thousand things. He could have, you know, been hit by a bus. Or <laughs> Hopefully. Or he could, have, he could have run off with a CIA guy. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows, you know? I have to point it out because I found it interesting that was not one of the places you went to, which is, I'm good enough for anybody and goddamn, something must have gone wrong here. Immediately you went to, I must have said something that put him off. You're right. You're totally right. <laughs> But the real point here, or the the bullet point I'd like to bring up and hear you respond to, is here we are in an age where everyone meets online or somehow a lot of people do. It's, there's not a stigma attached the way there used to be for us. And you are still looking for love, but this experience, is it true? It just made you never want to do that? You know, it's interesting you should ask that. So as I was preparing this morning, I asked myself, 
why don't you try it again? Here we are in a pandemic, and I wouldn't have to meet them in person right, <laughs> right away. I could maybe form you know, a, a conversation via email or whatever and get to know them. I mean, it would be sort of like creating pen pals. Yeah, I mean, since you're such a good writer, you might actually ask that they do it in writing and make it fun, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, because I don't think it's safe and online dating right now to go out and meet a bunch of people. But maybe I could form a few connections that that were promising. And when the pandemic has subsided and we're all vaccinated and ideally safe from this horrible thing, then, you know, who knows? So anyway. Maybe you need to do it while we're putting these out so that we can have a episode 23. <laughs> oh, I Okay, that's a good idea. Wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> yeah, but I have to be honest with you. It is the first time ever that I have considered doing it. it was this morning. Mm-hmm. Good. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am sure that more than just me are, is interested to hear what comes next, but dot, 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 this could be very intriguing, my Michelle. I think you have really hit on something. <laughs> hmm. Oh, my. I might have to do it now. Okay. Yeah, because who knows? We could talk about the responses <laughs> in a follow-up episode. Exactly. Could be a whole new series. Exactly. Could be the sequel. <laughs> could be the sequel. You've got it to love capades. Oh, my goodness. This is exciting. I'm so glad. I can't wait to hear what happens next. Well, and I think you've just hatched a new plan, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> so more stuff for me to take care of and do. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, wonderful to chat with you. It was a total delight. And even though we talked about a lot of cads, it still ended up being a happy episode. Thank you for listening to the Love Capades podcast. If you'd like to submit questions, please send them to michelle at lovecapades.com. And that's spelled M-I-C-H-E-L-E at L-O-V-E-C-A-P-A-D-E-S dot com. Also check out our Facebook page and website, both called Love Capades, for fun facts and groovy visual stuff. I am the author, Michelle Musi, and my co-host is Sally Kaplan. The Love Capades podcast is skillfully and playfully produced by StudioPod Media. You can find them at studiopodsf.com.